0: Father, thank you for this time together. Speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are looking at basic apologetics today. Uh, And as we look at that, I'm reminded of, on this special day of Father's Day, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, be alert, stand firm in your faith, be brave and strong, your every action must be done with love. It's a great exhortation to fathers. Be aware of what's going on. Stand firm in your faith and be brave and strong. Be strong in the faith. Know what it is that you believe and why you believe it. The Bible also tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to make a defense. That word defense is the Greek word right there, apologia. Apologetics is where we get that term from. To everyone who asks you to give an account, the hope that is in you. We are to be able to give an an account of what it is that we believe. And in a time where it's popular to just believe whatever you want, uh, there are a lot of fallacies, spiritually, there are fallacies in all walks of life. You know, a lot of people believe that elephants are afraid of mice. But that's just a myth. That cobras uh, can be lured to sleep or into a trance uh, by playing a flute when cobras are actually... Death, Or how about this one? <clears throat> I'm going to ask you not to embarrass yourself this morning. So don't raise your hand. Please refrain from raising your hand. Uh, you know, if I ask the question, how many of you have been ha- cow tipping? You know, if I did that, some of you would raise your hand and I just feel sorry for you because that's an urban legend, okay? I grew up on a farm. My dad raised cattle. We still have some cows back home. You don't, cows sleep lying down. All right? You might every once in a while find some delusional cow who can't get down and has learned to sleep with sleepwalking or something. But even if they did, I was reading some, I was reading some uh, background on this. It would take three grown men to pull a cow, to push a full-grown cow over. Okay. I don't know how much you think those things weigh, but it's not like pushing your son or daughter over. And cows are very aware. They know what's going on. So this is an urban legend that rednecks like me made up to make you look really dumb by saying you've been cow tipping, all right? And so, you know, if, I, if you ask that question, oh, yeah, I've been cow tipping, it's always just like two or three teenage girls uh, who've been cow tipping, who raise their hand, you know. That's an urban legend. And, but we've heard it so much that we kind of jump on and go, oh, yeah, cow tipping. I've done that before. None of those people ever lived on a farm that say cow tipping. Uh, but they like to make you think. That that's real and make you think that you've missed out on something. And we see that same mentality in our culture today, don't we? Well, I want us to look at some things that will help us know what our faith is and that we can believe in our faith and we can believe that the Bible is true And so I want us to look at ten things I want to teach my son and daughter before they graduate from high school. Now, we're just going to look at them very basically, but I've got a list. There's a handout that you received on your way in. If you didn't get one, you can get one on the way out and has these ten questions. And then there are five books that I highly recommend. If you're not going to read, if you, you say, I'm not a reader, I don't like to read, well, let me just give you one that's a real short and easy read, and it's A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. But if you are willing to learn a little more, those are excellent references and excellent sources for you to consider. Now, why should we even believe God exists? Let's just start off with basic theism, and theism is basically the belief in God. And there are four fundamental reasons that uh, we should ascribe to theism today. The first one being that of origins. Now, what do I mean by origins? Where, well, how did we originate? How did the earth originate? How did the universe originate? What are the origins of life and what makes sense? And the truth of it is, the complexity of our universe is so remarkably complex that there's no way that it simply could have evolved on its own. Matter of fact, the uh, great professor, and uh, matter of fact, Dr. Um, what is his name? Richard Swinson, uh, who is one professor. This guy is name, Let me look at my notes. I can't believe I just did that. You think you do this three times? Actually, this is my fourth time, and you'll remember these. George Smoot, professor at Harvard. Uh, in charge of the Kobe Satellite uh, Research Project. And when the images came back from the satellite, uh, this was his statement. He goes, It seems that the universe demands that there must be a God. As he looked at the complexity of the universe, uh, as you look at the DNA structure for which makes up our bodies, uh, one of the great geneticists of our day, probably the foremost geneticist today, is Francis Collins. And Francis Collins was an atheist. And as he began to study the DNA, he said the complexity, he said, leaves absolute, me absolutely certain that this simply couldn't have evolved on its own. There had to be a cause, which brings us to the argument of first cause the first cause of the universe. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. The complexity of just the human body alone is overwhelmingly uh, remarkable. Think about this. Each human is composed of 10,000 trillion, trillion atoms. More than all the stars in the universe. There are more atoms in your body than all the stars in the universe. Now that's just an atom. And cells are in atoms. So listen to this. Each human body contains 50 to 100 trillion cells. And each cell is made up of a trillion atoms. Is that not remarkable? In a lifetime, the human heart beats over 2 billion times and pumps 60 gallons of blood through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Even the smallest blood vessels have some 70 square feet of surface Area we breathe six hundred million times in an average lifespan, with each breath processing over a billion trillion air molecules, which pass over three million areas of surface through our body. We breathe. Excuse me. The retina of the eye contains over one million rods and cones that take continuous pictures in one third of a second. The retina solves the equivalent of a nonlinear differential equation that would take a supercomputer 100 years to solve. The human ear has a million moving parts and can vibrate 20,000 times per second. Hear sounds over a range of intensity that varies by a trillion. The human nose can distinguish 10,000 different smells. Our three-pound brains are the most complex arrangement of matter ever discovered in the universe. It contains 10 billion neurons and 100 trillion neurological interconnections that, if stretched out, would extend over 1,000 miles. Billions of skin cells are replaced every day, and the entire surface of the skin is replaced every two weeks. Billions of skin cells are replaced on your body every day, And humans have 5 million hair follicles, which over a lifetime grow over 2 million feet of hair. Do you simply think that that just evolved? That it just came into existence? The argument of origins screams for God. Natural law, intelligent design. If I were to walk out on a beach today... And I got there and I saw written in the sand, John loves Mary. I'd have two decisions to make where that came from. I could say, well, you know, I think over the process of time and evolutionary evolvement that the chemical compounds and the molecules, they all just so connected that it wrote out, John loves Mary. I think that's probably a reasonable deduction. Or I could say, you know what? I think somebody was here earlier and they wrote, John loves Mary. Okay, I can decide that it was by design or that it happened by chance. When you look at the human body, when you look at the universe, when you look at the DNA, to say that it simply evolved from time is the equivalence of saying, John loves Mary. Just through time and process, it was written here in the sand. Not only that, the the, uh, argument of morals, that we are born with a moral conscience, that it's wired into us, that there's a right and that there's a wrong. In a day and age where people continue to scream, there are no absolutes. There are no absolute morals. How can we say that? Virtually every culture, very, with the exception of some deviant minds, would say murder is wrong. Not necessarily killing, but murder is wrong. Most culture, every culture ever existed would say murder is wrong. Child abuse, rape. There are some things that we universally know innately that are just wrong. Where does that come from? C.S. Lewis, in his book *Mere Christianity*, devotes the first five chapters to this argument, and this is one of the primary things that led him to faith from atheism. The argument of meaning—that there is a meaning to our lives—that we don't just simply exist. If you look a lot of, if you watch a lot of these movies, uh, these doomsday movies, you'll see people just saying, "Our goal is to survive." We just want to exist. And if you believe there's no God, that's what your purpose is. Because there is no meaning in life. You simply evolved from nothing and you're simply a living uh, organism with no real purpose and no meaning. You're simply trying to survive. But deep within us, we all believe that there is a meaning and a purpose for us living, for us existing, for us being here upon this earth. Which brings us to our last point, destiny. That we believe that in the end, there is a destiny. There is a judgment coming. That mankind believes that, that all the atrocities on earth, that one day things will be made right. And as believers, we believe that God Almighty will assess and judge each individual. But if we believe there is no God, then there is no destiny. This life is all there is. And when it's over, you just, you just die and you turn into dirt. I I know I've quoted this several times before, but two years ago, Christopher Hitchens, the famed atheist, died. And uh, he died of esophagus cancer. And as he was dying, a reporter went and interviewed him and said, Dr. Hitchens, what's redeemable about your suffering and about your death to come? He goes, you know, I wish I could say, you know, it'll be great. And there'll be so many things, so many strides made for mankind. I wish I could say I'll appreciate this time more. But the truth of it is... I will never see my children get married, I'll never meet my grandchildren, and I'm going to die a sick, horrible death, and then I'm going to go to the ground, and that's the end. So there's nothing redemptive about it. And if you believe there is no God, or if you believe God has nothing to do with our, our existence, our life here, then that's your option. That's your destiny, that you die, it's over, and there's nothing. There's no meaning, there's no purpose. You simply evolved into existence. But as believers, we believe there is more, and we believe the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible, you might say, but how do we know the, the Bible hasn't been changed throughout the years and throughout the centuries? Hasn't it been changed, and haven't there been numerous books that uh, were kicked out of the Bible? Actually not. We have thousands of copies and fragments of the Scriptures, and they're remarkably the same, Ninety. 99.5 percent the same, and the only variances are in articles in non-theological matters. They're just in simple, some simple words or translated or misspelled, but the the text itself remains the same. Matter of fact, we have 25,000 copies of the New Testament of fragments and verses, and of and of completed works that we have on display now. The John Ryland. Uh, discovery in 1934 that, dated, uh, that was the Gospel of John, the last gospel written. Some say somewhere between 90 and 100 A.D. That was just a few years after that time uh, they dated this document back. And it's the same as what we have in our Bibles today. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the Old Testament. You go back and they found the book of Isaiah and it's 99% accurate. And we're talking about 700 to 900 B.C. that this was written. Almost 3,000 years ago. And it's just like we have it today. The early church fathers from 100 to 400 A.D. would quote scriptures and they would use scriptures in their writings. And if we just took their quotes, you can put the New Testament together without the Bible itself. You could take all of their quotes and all of their references and put the New Testament completely back together again. Well... But weren't there a lot of other books in the Bible? No, actually, there weren't. Um... The books that we have in our New Testament are largely what they had in the first couple of centuries. A matter of fact, all the books that we have were commonly accepted uh, in the early centuries. And, uh, and, in and in the 100s, there's something called the Mortorian Canon, and it included everything but Hebrews, Revelation, and James. They were Everything else was in there. And those three books were commonly accepted by pastors and uh, bishops, around the country. So when they came together at the Council of Nicaea, a lot of times people say that's when they decided what books were in the Bible. No, they were already accepted. What they did, they came and said, this is the canon. And we're not including anything else. And a lot of times people like Dan Brown will say, well, what about the Gospel of Mary? What about the Gospel of Thomas? What about the Gospel of Peter? Well, there's a simple reason for those that they're not included. Number one, they weren't divinely inspired. But the other thing is they were written three and four hundred years after the time of Christ. We already had our canon put together when those books were written and they came out. We also don't see them referenced uh, by other books. So we know that we have the correct Bible, and it's what they've had throughout history. Doesn't the Bible oppress women and support slavery? The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27 that God created man in the image of God. He created male and female in His image. When God sees us, He sees us as of equal value. He sees us as man and woman, and in no way is he oppressive. Galatians 3.28 says, There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus What about slavery? Doesn't the Bible support slavery? No. It regulated an atrocity that was occurring, just like it regulated polygamy, but it never condoned it. Matter of fact, it was never God's intention. And we see a book in the New Testament devoted to the issue of slavery called Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave, and he left. And Paul writes back to his owner, Philemon, and said, I want you to receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ in verse 16. Receive him as a brother in Christ. So we see that that's not a fair assumption. Well, but don't scientists believe that the Bible contradicts science? Can you be a Christian and be a scientist? Well, a lot of great scientists have been. Copernicus. He was the one who discovered that, or the first could come up with a theory that the planets actually rotate around the sun, and it's not the sun rotating around the sun the planets. You have Kepler. You have Galileo. You have Rene Descartes, the, the famous philosopher in sciences. Blaise Pascal. Isaac Newton. And even today, you have Francis Collins that we mentioned earlier, the foremost geneticist of our day. You have um, a couple of other guys. Uh, another one would be John Lennox, who is the professor of physics and mathematics at Oxford University. Strong evangelical believer. Uh, Don Page, the leading black hole expert from the University of Alberta, these are all strong evangelical believers who affirm the word of God and affirm their faith. What about those people who are sincere about religions? Aren't there a lot of religions and doesn't it just matter if you're sincere? Well, let's think about that logically for a moment. First of all, there would be Islam. And Islam believes there's one God, he's Allah. And Allah you, the way that you come to Allah is through the five pillars of Islam. He's not a personal God. You can't know for sure uh, that you will be with him or that you will be forgiven, but you just do the best you can, and you put your hope there, and you just try to do the five pillars the best you can. But he is the one uh, basically unknowable, distant God. Number two, what about Eastern religion? Well, they believe everyone is God. Hinduism, everything's a God. Everybody can be a God. So you've got the one God. Everybody's a God. What about Buddhism? There is no God. There's an energy flowing through the universe, but there is no God in itself. And then there's Christianity. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit makes up who we call God. We can't all be right. And I'm not even mentioning atheism. You can't all be right. Logic deducts that somebody must be right and everyone else must be wrong I put my faith and trust in the God of the Bible who has sent us Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If God exists, then why is there suffering? I can give you a very simple answer to that. Because of sin. Because of our propensity to sin. It causes suffering for us and for people that we know and people that we don't know. Sin affects all. But even as you look at natural disasters, why, how could there be a God if we have these natural disasters? Do you realize that natural disasters are required for the planet that we live on? Earthquakes occur because of the plate tectonics beneath the surface that uh, enable this planet to be inhabited. Um, you look at um, hurricanes, for example. Hurricanes, if they didn't exist, the, the weather and the temperature would become so in- completely hot and heated that it would make our earth uninhabitable. You look at floods and fires that uh, get rid of an ecosystem that becomes overgrown uh, with destructive plants and animal life. God has naturally created a planet that will take care of itself. And when we don't understand why these disasters happen, it doesn't mean that God is punishing us and it doesn't mean that there is no God. It means that He knows what He's doing. Well... What about um, people who go through life and are bad, and then they decide to trust Christ? How can that be fair? That just doesn't seem right. You know, that just kind of goes back to our mentality. We, we, we want to earn it by, uh, by merit. We want to earn our salvation, and we always kind of fall back there. But we kind of base on who's good enough by using ourselves as a standard. So we would never use Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. We always want to use Hitler. You know I me, mean? and it's our standard. Yeah, that's bad, and he should, he should be judged. But me, no, I'm not as bad as Hitler. You know, we always want to look in, in that manner. That's the way we want to make the evaluation, but that's the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel says that we're all sinners. None of us are righteous. We all are worse than we ever imagined. But the good news is of the gospel that we are more loved and accepted than we could have ever hoped. And what God requires is that we would believe and transfer our trust to what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross and receive his grace and forgiveness. That's the truth. And it's by mercy that we come to salvation, not by merit. What about the dinosaurs? That's the one everybody loves to have. What about the dinosaurs? Can I just say this? Not to be offensive, but... If, you, if somebody told you one time there were no di- dinosaurs, quit saying that. That's like saying cow tipping, all right? Dinosaurs existed, all right? So let's just get over that. Dinosaurs existed at some point in history, all right? And we, maybe it was the flood that destroyed them. That's probably the, the most logical answer. If not, there was a cataclysmic event that wiped the dinosaurs off the face of the earth, okay? So they did exist, and that's not in contradiction to the Scripture. Number 10, and this one is a little heavier and... Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll hear this every once in a while, Mithrism and the Gilgamesh Epic. Now, what's Mithrism? Well, Mithrism is an ancient religion that was started somewhere around 500 B.C. It was a Persian religion, but it was a secret religion. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it was so secretive that they didn't write anything down, they didn't tell anybody. Only its members knew what it was. So, uh, so it existed, but no one really knew what it was. And, and then about 200 B.C., the Romans incorporated Mithraism, and they kind of reworked it and redid it, and they made that their war god, okay, the war god Mithra that they would use. And uh, kind of the way, as they begin to put it into writing, they said Mithra uh, was a god who came out of a rock and who fought the sun, the literal sun, and then killed a primeval a bull, and then that's what laid the groundwork for mankind to evolve from. And uh, it's a little bit more extensive, but that was the basic story of it. And uh, that's what the Romans uh, believed for a while, and or at least the military. It was kind of a, more of a military cultic belief. But then about 200, 300 A.D., people quit believing in Mithraism. And it became very challenging. And we even have some recordings of, of one of the emperors talking about how no one believes it anymore. And uh, what we see is we see them starting to assimilate Christianity. Christianity is taken off like wildfire, okay? And it is really growing and booming. So what happens, according to Dr. Yamamuchi, who's professor of history, one of the foremost historians in our country today at the University of Miami, uh, says that Mithra begins to take components of Christianity and assimilate it into their faith. So now when you go back and read and you say, well, Mithraism, look at there. They, they had, he, he had these disciples and they did a common meal and they had something kind of like the Lord's Supper and then he died and then he rose again. And people look back and they say, see, he stole it from Christianity. Actually, the opposite is true. Because Mithraism was dying, they took it from Christianity because so many people were converting to Christianity and their religion was dying, they began to assimilate that. And again, that's a secular historian from the University of Miami who will make that point. What about the Gilgamesh epic where there was a flood? Where it talks about when they made this discovery about 60 or 70 years ago and they found that um, it told of a flood story. And then they they found a flood story in, in Ireland and they found another flood story even from the American Indians and they keep finding these major cultures that tell about a flood. Doesn't that prove that Christianity stole that from there? No, what it proves is that there really was a flood. <laughs> and if there was something of that magnitude, does it make sense that these cultures would begin to say, there was a flood at one time, and only a few people survived? It's amazing when you stop and think about the credibility that the Scriptures have. Um, you know, I was reading an article about atheism this week, the new atheism, which is a big buzz right now. And uh, there are more people in the United States that claim to be atheists. Somewhere between 3% and five to 5% of Americans claim to be an atheist today. It's more than we've ever had in the history of the United States. But what was also interesting is uh, of, fa- of people who were raised in an atheist family, three out of four of them leave the atheist position. Three out of four. So nearly 75% of those who were raised as atheists they walk away from atheism, and they begin to interview them. They said, why, why do you not believe like your parents believe? They said, well, number one, uh, it really didn't make a lot of sense. Number two, it sure, sure was drying meaningless. It just was kind of void of any hope. And number three, it just seems that there's more to life than what we can just come up with in our own minds. So what they found is largely atheism is something that happens by young adults People who start to search and think, you know what, I think this is what's right. I I know Albert Einstein thought there was God, and I I know Isaac Newton thought there was, and Galileo thought there was, and Kepler and Copernicus, but I'll tell you what, I'm smarter than those guys. And, uh, And what you find are people who walked away from the faith, but many of them are not knowledgeable. It's just what they think. You know, the Bible talks about that in the book of Judges over and over. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone kind of determined, this is what's right, this is what I think. You know, the truth of it is, if you're here today and you say, I don't, I just struggle with believing, I want to ask you to search. I want to ask you to research. Read some of the books we have listed there and consider if they might be true. Study and think about it and give an honest approach. Francis Collins, I mentioned before, was an atheist. And uh, he's probably the most respected geneticist today. Uh, in the United States, and really around the world. And he was an atheist, and he said, as I began to study, as a matter of fact, I was going to prove uh, to some of my family who thought there was God that there was no God. And as I began to study the complexity of DNA, I was overwhelmed with the thought, there must be a God. There must be a creator. And if so, could I possibly know him? He said, and that's how I found Christ. And he, he uses the term, Born again. Hey, we have this hope within us that there is a God, that He has revealed Himself, and that we can know Him through the person of Jesus Christ. Have you come to that place today? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You that while we were still sinners, You died for us. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know You today, I pray, Father, that they'd take that step to know You, that they would realize that there is good evidence and that there are good reasons to believe that not only You exist, but that you long to know us uh, as, as your children. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to us at this time. And may your name be praised in the name of Jesus. Amen.